I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. My name is Danny Martinez, and allow me to let you in on a little secret. I am so excited for today's episode of Fish Bites. First off, the draft, at the time that this is recording, it's Sunday, the draft is tomorrow. Second off, we have George Alvarado, one of the best Marlins fans you're going to find on Twitter, joining us later on today. That interview's already been done twice, as you'll hear about it in the interview. That's going to be exciting. And number three, quite frankly, I just I had a good weekend, and a lot of it had to do with Marlon's Twitter. I I joined my wife, uh, and we took a little trip to Orlando, something work related, and uh, you know Kevin Smith told me go to Jimmy Hula's. I did. It was great. Jeremy Tache said try a Little Moon Pizzeria. I did it. It was great. And then Jonathan Anderson, who is just one of the nicest guys in the world, works at Sack Comedy Lab. Um, it's in downtown Orlando. They do improv. They do like a whose line is it anyway kind of show. And he was able to get me complimentary tickets. And well, you know, guess what? That was great too. So I have had a really good time this weekend. Um, and I'm excited to get into this podcast because like I said, if you're listening to this on Monday morning, which I hope you are, it is draft day. Congratulations. Today is the day that we have been anticipating, that we have been looking forward to. Today's the day that myself, Ian, and Ethan on you know earning their stripes ha- have discussed ad nauseum and today is the day that the organization can make a pick that truly sort of solidifies the rebuild and solidifies itself moving forward so i'm excited and we're obviously going to talk a little draft later on today before george comes on and joins us but before we get there let's go ahead and hit our usuals let's talk a little bit about the pitching this week let's talk a little bit about some of the hitting that's been happening because we should be excited right now. Um, I sent a tweet out a while ago, and and I think I even spoke about this in in one of my previous podcasts, which was when the young guys start coming up, we're going to start seeing a little bit of that fun, a little bit of that excitement, a little glimpse of what the future should look like. And we're getting there. We're getting there with kids like Harold Ramirez. We're getting there with the pitching staff. It's exciting to see a Garrett Cooper start heating up. And, and if you don't realize that he's heating up, go take his last couple of uh, his last week or so of production. It's exciting to see this. And this week, like many other weeks, we saw the way that the, the blueprint is being put forward. So much so that I don't even have one pitcher performance. I have two. And they happened on back-to-back nights against the Giants. The first one was on Tuesday. Trevor Richards, we spoke about Trevor last week as well, and we're going to speak about him again because I'm going to be honest, I'm at fault at this, but many fans um, kind of quickly put him in the box of baby-faced aces that might be moved to the bullpen or that might not stick around. 
And to be fair, there are some peripheral numbers that you can look at and say, you know, this was somewhat justified. But man, has he been shutting people up. He goes up against the Giants, puts up seven innings pitch of two hit baseball. He allowed one earned run. He struck out five and he walked one. Of course, as always, the story begins and ends with his changeup and it was nasty. Trevor Richards, from all of us that have said, oh, well, Pablo Lopez and Sandy and whatever, Caleb Smith might be the, the real leaders of the babyface aces, allow me to uh, you know, just say I'm sorry. On behalf of them, on behalf of myself, it is amazing to see you go out there. We hope that it continues to generalize, but you were absolutely disgusting against the Giants this week and in a very good way. And then the following day, which you love to see, right? You love to see these pitchers. Uh, one-upping each other. And I'm not sure we're going to say that Pablo Lopez on the 29th, which is Wednesday, necessarily one-upped Trevor Richards. But he said, you know what? What you can do, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try to do as well. Yeah. As he gets Posey for his third strikeout. Lopez is 2-2 on the way. And a called strike three. Bottom of the zone. That's four strikeouts for Lopez in four innings of work. Pressure's on. Alfaro picks it up, throws down to first to complete the strikeout. A 1-2-3 fifth for Pablo Lopez. Six innings pitch, only four hits allowed, one earned run, and the same split of five Ks to one walk. Now, with Pablo, there's something interesting that's happening here. You know, we're starting to see these home road splits. I won't even pretend um, to try to conceptualize what's happening there. Whether it's that he's pitching differently, I'm not sure the numbers show that. Although he could be a little bit more aggressive in the zone away, maybe he is uh, thinking that at home he can get away with certain pitches in the zone or or the ballpark factors that we often talk about in a negative fashion for hitters. Maybe that is something protective for pitchers and the mentality of the game. I, I won't pretend to look at that in this particular segment. That's actually something I want to jump into next week or the following week, because uh, next week we'll probably be discussing draft a little bit. But there's clearly some home road splits with our pitchers, and we see that quite a lot in Pablo Lopez. Nonetheless, guess what? They were both at home this week, and they both dominated. Trevor Richards, Pablo Lopez, pitchers of the week. However, Let's not go to hitters quite yet because, quite frankly, uh, Luis Davila, you know, I'm going to talk about your ace here for a second. Jose Urania needs to get some recognition for what he's doing. Uh, it's, it's, it's impressive. It's impressive what he has come out um, and what he's shown that he can do. I was very much also, I will be the first one to raise my hand on the boat of, you know, let's hope Urania has a good season. Let's see what he can do if he can replicate the second half of twenty uh, of last of, of last year, twenty eighteen, and maybe there is enough value to flip him for some lower tier prospect, um, and then just complete the baby face aces with Zach Gallon coming up or whoever else might might fill that spot. What I'm raising my hand to is that my tone wasn't exactly very hopeful. Well, I was wrong. Jose Urania has been able to begin replicating what he did in the second half of last year. Over his last seven games, he's sporting a 3.2 ERA. He has struck out almost 30 while only walking 15. His whip's at 1.13, and that's over the course of 45 innings. He has been limiting the damage over and over and over again. Jose Urania, I'm not saying he's pitching like a frontline pitcher on a competitive team, but make no mistake about it, when it's July, or even maybe before then, and we're talking about trade deadline flips, 
Caleb Smith and Jose Urania might be on the same pedestal for me. If he's performing the way that he is performing right now at that time, especially since we are seeing a little bit of a uh, dip back to uh, he's stabilizing a bit from Caleb Smith. I'll go, I'll go about it that way. Jose Urania might really be the prize. Now, if another team values him as such, the market will dictate. However, we cannot talk about pitchers and we cannot highlight pitchers on a major league podcast for the Marlins without talking about Jose Urania. So a tip of the cap to him. I hope he continues to shut me up. I hope that he continues to shut up those that say that he could have been DFA'd, um, that he didn't even deserve a spot coming out of the spring training. You know, Lewis, I'm sure you're happy to hear that. But as for me, definitely a tip of the cap. All of the pitching has been sensational, inconsistent, sure, but sensational nonetheless. As for hitter of the week, my favorite guy, the guy that I spoke about on earning the stripes, the one that we discussed over and over again, having to get called up, the one that I said was a steal from the Pirates organization, from the Blue Jays organization, the fact that they were short, so short-sighted to let him go because he had a knee injury, Harold Ramirez. I, don't, I won't include the bleeping in there, but Harold Ramirez. 357, 419, 429 over the last week. He has only one more strikeout than he does walks. He's thrown in six RBIs, and he has a handful of doubles in there just to make you feel a little bit better that it's not just all singles. Now, this is someone, again, 24 years of age, was once a top 100 prospect. He then had a knee injury. I've spoken about that on this podcast and on the sister podcast of Earning Their Stripes. And the Marlins gave a shot. And he's come up, and he looks incredibly comfortable. He has always been someone throughout the minors that has been able to hit wherever he has been, whatever league, whatever affiliate, hitter-friendly, not hitter-friendly. Harold Ramirez is going to get you close to a 300 average. He's going to get on base. He has a good eye. He has a solid approach. I love the stance, and he has beautiful bat-to-ball contact. And at the moment, he's playing out of position. Yes, we see it. We see that the, the anticipation isn't quite there. We see you know, that really bad kind of blue pit that fell in between all three of them against the Padres. We understand that he's playing out of position because right now there's not a true center fielder on the roster other than maybe Roselle Herrera. And when you want Harold Ramirez's bat in there, as well as Garrett Cooper's bat, as well as probably Grandy and left or whoever might be out there, you're going to play out of position to get the bat in the lineup. But that shouldn't be held against him. Ramirez will eventually be a corner outfielder and he will continue to hit, maybe not at the pace that he's hitting, right? His BABIP is pretty high. He's also just a small sample size at the moment. The league really isn't going to be figuring him out quite yet. There's also a level of him hitting a lot of singles, not hitting enough for power at the moment. I get all of those factors. But when you look at a minor league career of hitting, 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 I would say that I'm pretty confident with Harold Ramirez at some point being a potential building block in one of the corner outfield positions. And yet there's something that has caught my eye. It's not the blooper reels in center field. It is not, you know, his homer, and then he thought he had another home run, uh, which he probably should have had. It's not anything that's happening. It's not the average. It's not the OBP. What has caught my eye is that he is in the 91st percentile in sprint speed. Harold Ramirez is in the 91st percentile in 2019 in sprint speed. You know why the Blue Jays and the Pirates gave up on him? rather the Blue Jays, because he blew out his knee. He had issues with his legs, and they felt that he would never regain his speed. 
And then you look at him and he looks kind of like a CJ Anderson running back in the NFL, but you don't exactly look at him and think, well, that guy's quick. Oh, but he is 91st percentile. So he hits the ball hard. His exit average exit velocity is around 91.3, 92. Uh, the average MLB is like 87. He's in the 91st percentile running, and you've seen that. You've seen would-be double plays, balls that the infielders don't have the right scouting report on him, take their time, kind of lackadaisically cross over, and then Harold Demers is safe. He's, he's logged a few infield singles that fashion as well. The league will catch up to him, and maybe this is just a 24-year-old who's excited to be out here and is trying to impress, and eventually he will slow down going down the first line. But again, let me repeat it from StatCast. 91st percentile sprint speed across the league. It's impressive to see someone come up who we've always known could hit, but we've had questions about his his knee, about his durability, about his speed, and not only is he beating it down the line, he's doing it easily, and he's top 10 in the league at that. So Harold Ramirez, you have been awesome. You are my favorite player. Honestly, every time you do something, I look at my wife, and then she goes, yeah, yeah, Harold did something. Absolutely. Because I am so thrilled for this guy, everything that he has overcome, all the times he was let go, all the times he was told that his development was going to be deduced or reduced rather because of the knee injury. He bet on himself. He bet on the Marlins. And it seems like a marriage made in heaven. Hitter of the week, Harold Ramirez. All right, so then for the draft, which is what we're really all excited for, depending on when you're listening to this, it could have already happened, it's about to happen, or whatever the case is, but Monday, the draft is taking place. Now, the draft runs for a few days, but Monday is round one, as well as the competitive balance round and round two. Monday evening will be the night that the Marlins can truly change their organization. They have the number fourth overall pick, the number 35th, 35 overall pick, and the 46th overall pick. Now, on earning their stripes, myself and Ian went very in-depth into what we would consider doing, what the board might look like, right? We've never pretended that we've gone to Vanderbilt and and, and uh, scouted in life J.J. Blade, but there's something about the critical eye, those that have been around baseball that can look at film, extensive film, can look at swings and can give you an opinion. My opinion has been very simple, and I, I sent this out, at least when it comes in, in reference to the number four overall pick, I sent this out today. With the understanding that Adley Rushman and Bobby Witt Jr. are likely gone by number four, here are my top four, or here are my top choices for Miami. One and 1A will continue being J.J. Bleday and Andrew Vaughn. I have discussed this across the podcast in all of my writing on earning their stripes. I think there's actually quite a consensus amongst fans and maybe some media as well, about that. J.J. Blade or Andrew Vaughn being at the top. As a matter of fact, if you go look at almost every single mock, the latest one at least, you will see J.J. Blade as the choice, and the only exceptions are those taking Andrew Vaughn as an alternative to J.J. Blade. Those are my 1-1-A, and those are interchangeable for me. There are some individuals, my my partner Ian Smith is a, is a stout one on J.J. Blade and then two on Andrew Vaughn. I'm not. I'm, you know, doing cartwheels. If I was athletic enough, I would run marathons. If I was athletic enough, I would celebrate all night long. If it's JJ Blitter at Juvan, have no problem with either of those at number four. After that, I take, I'm going to say maybe a two foot, two feet drop in excitement. 
and, and and I go with C.J. Abrams. That would be my third choice, even though really it's second choice because I'm okay with either one at the top. Uh, I think that the Marlins fans and us, even possibly us, have done a disservice with C.J. Abrams because we're so excited about the college bat, right? We're so excited about the advanced bat for all the reasons that I have dictated myself. We want someone with a quick ETA. We want someone with an advanced bat tool, hit tool, at least from what we can see on the film. Someone with a fluid swing. J.J. Bleday and Andrew Vaughn scream bat. But man, I've started to see some people get really disappointed if C.J. Abrams is the choice. And while that wouldn't be my prerogative, guys, this is still an elite prospect. You know, this is still someone who in a lot of drafts would go number one, number two. This is just a loaded draft. C.J. Abrams is... You know, I guess he's getting like the Bobby Witt treatment where because Bobby Witt is here, his profile doesn't look as exciting. This is still someone who could develop a 55 plus hit tool can be elite at shortstop, even though there are questions about whether he would have to move to center field. This is still someone you should be very excited for. And he's my uh, alternative to either Blade or Vaughn. After that, I go back to college advanced bats. Hunter Bishop would be my guy, but there are holes in the swing. He's really just, he looks like he could play football right now. His body is um, fit for an athletic type of like prototype of what an athlete looks like. Uh, He has immense power, but there are questions about the hit tool and there are some hitches in the swing. After that, we go to a prep advanced bat advanced. He might end up being the best bat actually in this entire draft, Riley Green. Then a college shortstop, Bryson Stott. And then at number seven, I actually have someone um, that I think a lot of individuals would be angry at because he's a pitcher. And I've said it multiple times. It's bats, bats, bats in this draft. But quite frankly, for whatever reason, you know, the board has lined up or a lot of the individuals ahead, some red markers come up in the in their profile or something happens with injury. I have no idea how it would happen that Nick Lodolo would be the pick but he would absolutely be the only pitcher that I consider. So I have him number seven. And then eight is another advanced college bat with Josh Young, who plays third, but is a big guy, can transition to different positions. That's how my that's how my top eight would look. But make no mistake, from J.J. Blade to Andrew Vaughn, there's about a, two, a two-step drop. From, um, from J.J. Blade to Andrew Vaughn to C.J. Abrams, rather. So from Vaughn to Abrams, there's about a two-step drop. But then from Abrams to Bishop, it's a huge gap. So if you're asking me, who the choice has to be has to be one of those three. Blade, Vaughn, or Abrams. Green is an outside possibility, I guess, as well. But man, it would be really surprising if by this time tomorrow, or if you're listening in the morning by the nighttime, Blade, Vaughn, or Abrams is not a Miami Marlins prospect. So that's that's where I'm going with it. You know, I, I can consider the concept of an underslot because there are some individuals, even though I'm not in favor of that. And again, we discussed that on, on ETS. I'm not in favor of an underslot here, but there are individuals at 35 and 46 that you, if you went under slot to save some money, then could pull back up, can price them out the same way that Banfield was priced out and look at uh, what kind of a prospect he is. So there, there are options there is what I'm saying. As for me, Blade, Vaughn, or Abrams, we'll see what the Marlins do at number four. All right, without wasting any more time, I am excited for you to listen to this guy talk. I'm excited for y'all to find out about his stories, about what matters to him, about who he is for someone who bleeds baseball. And you're going to find out about that right now with George Alvarado.
Joining us today is George Alvarado. He is a realtor and a baseball coach in the upstate South Carolina region and really just a lover of all things baseball. George has been a Marlins fan since he moved to Miami in 1995, and he's joining us to chat a little bit about the state of the Marlins, Twitter, scorned fans, and what the future holds for the fish. Uh, you know, no one's going to know this except George and myself, but this is actually <laughs> round two of our interview because we just did an entire hour together and then technical difficulties love to occur. So this will be round two for us, but round one for you guys. George is a really good baseball mind. I love engaging with him on Twitter. I, I genuinely mean that. It's not just to puff him up a little bit. Whenever I'm on Twitter and I'm um, having a good conversation, George is usually a part of it. So George, brother, thank you for coming on for the second time today. How are you doing, man? Good. Still good. Still do Great. <laughs> Great. Better the second time. I, I like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just even even more smooth and more electric and more excited the second time. I love it. All right. So, you know, obviously I want to start off with them getting to know you a little bit more. I know a little bit about you, where you're from, who you are, but I want the listeners to know a little bit about who George is as well. So tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about your Marlins fandom. Uh, I, I'm 28, uh, born in Venezuela, moved to the States, Miami specifically in 95. And now I've been in South Carolina since about 2006, right after Wilma Katrina hit. So um, kind of traveling up. This is about as north as I'll go because I don't like the cold. Gotcha, Imagine that, a, a kid from Miami not liking the cold. But um, <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, baseball fan, you know, the as far as like baseball goes, uh, Venezuela is like right in there with the Caribbean and that's just the way of life. So um, that's kind of where my, my fandom started. It's just something that you grow up, you know, you just grow up doing. And when we moved to the States, uh, my dad got me into baseball. And then of course the Marlins are the hometown team. And so um, when 97 hit, I was still a little young. So I don't have the, as Chris memories, I don't think any of us do from when we were right. seven, but um, as as time kind of went on, started attending more games, and I think I mentioned it last. I was like, you know, I was sitting there with, you know, all, I, as Twitter likes to joke, all seven of uh, the Marlins fans in, you know, ninety five <laughs> degree weather at a at a pro player at pro player stadium. Uh, so as as time went on, I just got more and more into it, and then I was lucky enough to. Uh, be able to see the Marlins win the 2003 World Series. I was actually sitting out in left field um, for the whenever they clinched it uh, against the, whenever they clinched the series against the Giants, mm -hmm. where Conine made the throw right to Pudge, and it was like JT Snow comes barreling in, and everybody's like, "Did he hold on to it?" And you know, right. Pudge comes up, and it's just like. Ah! You know, oh that, man, that I'm was, jealous. That was like one of the coolest moments for me as a as a Marlins fan, being able to be there, and then um, being Venezuelan, having Miggy Cabrera at 20 years old going opposite field against Roger Clemens um, was super super dope too. Moved up here into into Braves country, and yeah, man, you're um, right at the heart of of Braves Nation. Un unfortunately. <laughs> but um but no I, you know at, at least they're in the NLE so you do get a little bit of Marlins talk and 
um, every every now and then you'll run into somebody wearing either a Marlins hat and uh, something. I'll be like, yo, are you really a Marlins fan or it's just a fashion thing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they see me walking with my Miami lanyard, uh, which, hey, if anybody from the Marlins is listening, uh, I'd love to have a new one if anybody wants to send one one. There you my go. Way. Hint, hint, <laughs> wink, wink. You know, um, but um, yeah, then I found Marlins Twitter and it's been awesome. Awesome. Except when you got to battle, when you got to like battle people. Yeah. The droves um, of people coming in. Yeah. That that's every now and then that's uh, kind of, you just take a deep breath and like, all right, how deep are we going to get into it? But uh, you know, it, I, I love being on there and, and talking just like I told you earlier, man, talking Marlins baseball and baseball in general. Um, I, I could do it forever so much so that, um, and, and Zach and Ashley, uh, were able to see it. Shout out guys. But mm-hmm. my left leg is a baseball sleeve. Mm-hmm. And so on the, uh, inside of my calf, I have uh, a couple, you know, I have my idols. Uh, I have Omar Vizquel, mm-hmm. uh, with a silhouette of him jumping and turning a double play. Outside of my leg, I have Andres Galarraga. Hmm. Uh, in the middle is a, is a baseball. On the lower part of my shin, I have 42 for Jackie Robinson. Right. Uh, and then up top, it's the a quote from Babe Ruth where he says, it's hard to beat a person who never gives up. Hmm. Um, and then on the back, it's actually probably, I love them all. One of the my cooler ones where bottom is a little baseball field, transitions into a Venezuelan flag, and then on directly on my calf. Um, and I know people have seen it, but it's the picture of Miguel Cabrera with Jose Altuve, mm-hmm. where they're standing at first base, right. and you know, it's it, it looks like a dad and his son. Uh, I have that on uh, on my calf, so it's uh, when I was deciding. You know, hey, I kind of want to get a tattoo. You know, what's something that that I'll never ever, you know, I, that'll never ever change for me? And it was just like, well, what's the one thing that I've been doing since I was little? Hmm. And that was baseball, and so that was that. Yeah. So no one at all can ever doubt the fact that when I introduced you as someone that's all about baseball, that is absolutely, <laughs> absolutely the case. All you have to just show your left, what your left leg? That's it. My left, my left leg is the only tattoos yep. I have. I I want to. Uh, it it's true what they say it's kind of like an addiction you get one you want to get more but um that's that's the one you know it's it's a few different pieces but yeah yeah lower left leg that's awesome hopefully the marlins can do something in the next few years to get you to add something on there of some uh of some importance i've debated it i was i thought about finding a place to put all three marlins logo because i you know you can't really just pick one right 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 I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'll save a spot somewhere where one day, one day it'll go on somewhere. I don't, that's ever, forever dying. I'll probably, the day I die, uh, I'll probably be asked if I get buried or cremated, just have something Marlins on me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Hey, I want to ask you about something. So obviously, like you said, you're in the heart of Braves country. Um, You know, when you transitioned over there, since the time you've been over there, you've been able to see the Braves go from somewhat competing to then rebuilding to not not being very good at all to now starting to come out of it. Right. And the hope is that then 
our Marlins are kind of following that path. They're following the path where in two years, the fish are where the Braves are now, where they're young. They have the building blocks to compete around and to add to, to really be, you know, competitive World Series competitors every single year. Um, Talk a little bit about the parallel that you see there, that dynamic being in a location where the geographical team is now coming out of it, but your team is now going into that type of path. Yeah, so here it was it was a lot of the same, but just not as um, extreme mm-hmm. uh, and dramatic. You know, people are like, yeah, the Braves are terrible this year. And, oh, man, the Braves are going to be terrible next year. But then, you know, the young guys, um, uh, Acuna and Albies and Dansby Swanson, everybody was really excited for Dansby Swanson because he's a local kid. Right. Um, so when they when they got him, everybody was just like, here we go. You know, it didn't hurt that he was, I'm trying, what, number th- three? Yeah, no, one of the top five um, uh, consensus, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he came out pretty high in that draft. And so it's just as as those guys continue to develop and then, you know, you get a guy like Acuna now, he's kind of like the the exception. I mean, the guy's a, a stud, uh, mm-hmm. but he, it brings a lot more excitement. And so they've they took their time and they were bad and um now they built and now they have guys in the minor leagues that are coming in and you know you're seeing where we want to end up their problem now is the pitching and mm-hmm. i'm here you hear it all the time man we should go get kimbrel man we need you know we need pitching help and i'm always like yo i know a couple guys in south florida that could probably help <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know but it's uh yeah that, that's where you want to get to um you know they signed markakis which was a you know a, a good veteran piece whenever they signed him and they kind of lucked out with getting ncr who was like one of my favorite players um and that's that's gonna that is the model you want to follow right they spent an international free agent they built through the draft um they they added a couple veteran pieces and you know, they are, you know, they, they really weren't meeting expectations this year. And then they brought up Austin Riley and it's just like, Oh my God, you know, here's some backup. And And, and you don't know in two, three years, that might be whoever the Marlins choose at number four tomorrow, right? It might be two to three years down the line where there's building blocks there. Cause I would imagine by 2020, 2021, you're looking at Monte and Brinson and all of them are at least, you know what they are to a certain extent, or you know what they could be. And it might be a JJ Blade that fills the Austin Riley shoes of adding that potent offensive bat or an Andrew Vaughn or whoever the case is uh, that they pick tomorrow. But to your point, it's sounding like it's going to be a similar plan. It, it looks like it's a similar plan. There's pitching that's that's deep. Now, the Braves are having their own issues at the professional level, but the Braves are known for having one of the best farm systems with pitching. What does that sound familiar to? Well, the Marlins, right? They have their bats. I think the one exception here that everyone brings up is, you know, the Braves were able to keep Freddie Freeman, and he was like that core piece that was able to survive the rebuild, and the Marlins weren't able to do that. Then again, Freddie Freeman didn't exactly demand a trade, you know? So, yeah. so I think that's the big difference, but it's interesting to see that you're in a location again, that kind of understood, although you said, you know, people still complained, people still said, Oh, we're going to be awful this year. We're going to be awful next year. And now they're starting to see the light. The hope is that the fish get to that point. Um, for you, I actually want to ask you then just, just you individually, how do you see the changes and you could take it however you want, whether on field or off field, 
what do you see the changes that your organization is going through right now? Yeah, uh, I love it. I love it. It's having the new ownership, uh, you know, engage with the fans and listen. And it's it's something that I don't think we've ever had. You know, going back to, you know, I guess maybe outside of when it originally, uh, when, when the Marlins were uh, originally uh, introduced to Major League Baseball, where it's like, oh, what are we going to be named? Um, and I think, you know, it's like the Flamingos <laughs> or the the Manatees, and, it, right. you know, it ended up being the Marlins. But um, when uh, everything was transitioning to the new stadium and the new jerseys, it was just like, hey, guys, surprise, this is what we have in store for you. Um, versus like, hey, you know, this isn't something that happens very often. Let's take mm-hmm. some fan feedback. And so uh, I've really enjoyed seeing the, their interactions and all the changes that they're making, whether it be with the stadium itself or the food, the rebranding, um, all meanwhile developing, you know, the, the, major, the, the major league product. Uh, right. We didn't have a farm system before. You know, I remember how many times where we kind of hovering close to 500 kind of in it, kind of not, Hey, we just need to, to get into the wild card. And then G gets hurt and there's nobody to bring up. Right. And there goes the season. Right. And there's and also so, no one down there to trade as a prospect to get someone to come on over. It was a very, like you said, barren farm system. There no farm system, no one to come up and no one to trade away to get that extra pitcher or that extra bat that they needed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, any, and even when there was, um, it was poorly misused. <laughs> I was, I've, I've here, I've recently started making the joke where it's just like, you know, we traded Josh, Josh Naylor for the ability to alienate Andrew Kashner for two months, <laughs> you know, cause yep. and the guy was not good. So, yep. so I've, I've really enjoyed everything that they're doing. Uh, the, the investments in the international market, whether it be going, after players like VVM uh, and his brother, uh, and I guess they they were in at, on Sandy at some point, and then like the PD stuff came out. Mm-hmm. But that that investment, the academies, like all that stuff, like uh, the the um, the investing in classes to make sure that everybody you know learns how to speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, I think, it was on the baseball america podcast the those guys brought up an interesting point about carter stewart who just signed to go play in japan mm-hmm. it's like he's gonna go to a new country you know even further than what the latin american guys do um, but he's gonna it's a new culture it's uh, a new language you know that transition is hard enough within itself to be able to say, Hey guys, we really have an interest in bringing you guys on. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm sure like if I was an agent, I'd be like, what does this organization have to offer my guys? Um, well, an organization that is making, um, taking steps to make that transition easier for the guys is I, I, I think it's like just, uh, extremely underrated and everybody likes to poke fun of it. But, you know, again, when the guys feel comfortable, they play well and they play well, they develop 
And next thing you know, uh, you know, we got studs coming through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's genius. And it's I, I believe it's not even just English to Spanish. It's also Spanish to English. Like it's both ways where you're building complete players who can engage in a clubhouse. And for the kids that are coming over at, you know, the young age of 16, 17, 18 from international signings, it, Miami should be that ideal place. And we spoke about it in our, our first recording. Uh, you know, you have the tropical climate, you have a quick airplane ride away from going home. It's it's closer to home than any other stadium, any other uh, baseball professional city that you can find. Now we're adding this concept of, hey, we're not going to treat you like we're not going to talk to you just because you speak a different language. We're going to try to learn. We're going to try to be this really inclusive organization. I mean, people can make fun of it all they want. They, they make fun of anything that's positive. You know, the, the team rebrands and the retail numbers are really good. Oh, well, they should be focusing on the on-field. The season ticket prices, food goes down. Oh, they should be focusing on the on-field as if organizations can't do both, right? Yeah, and and I think you said it on the uh, on the on one of the podcasts where it's just like you're not taking the millions of dollars that are allocated for you know for food and throwing them into player salary. Like that's not how businesses work. Right. There's a certain allotment of funds to every department and you want to maximize those. And I think that's something that the lower ownership, you know, failed miserably like year after year. Uh, and and we're seeing the, the effects of that. Right. We're seeing a change and, and a very welcome change, if at least in my sight. Um, Amen. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. George, brother, I want to I wanna give you enough time to talk about, you know, a beautiful story um, the Make-A-Wish uh, conversation, as well as the concept of how that kind of translates to being a Marlin fan or a rebuild or even with the 2003 club, wherever you want to take that. But uh, let the people know a little bit about, about that story. Yeah, so my uh, my best friend, I want to say three years ago, uh, committed to hiking make from Make-A-Wish. So uh, here in South Carolina, they have the Trailblaze Challenge, which is 28.3 miles through the Foothills Trail. And you commit to hiking that uh, along with raising money. So when he did it, he was probably 330 pounds, give or probably give, give a little bit there. Um, but he did it. Uh, it took him about 14 and a half hours, almost 15 hours. Wow. And so since then, he's been trying to get me to do it. And um, he recently lost like 120 pounds, like a complete different person. And so he, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's crazy the the difference. And he's just like, hey, um, hike with me this year. And he's been he's been trying to get me to do it. And I'm like, no, dude. You know, I don't hike. That's not my thing. Um, but I was just like, you know, uh, 2000, uh, 2018 was like a a really big and busy year. Um, with my with my business, I also had a a part time job and uh we you know played baseball during the year and we were trying to we were getting married i was getting married so just everything 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 uh kind of left the uh 
Yeah, two hours. a lot. And congrats to... on the marriage, by the way. Thanks. And, and, and thank you to the missus for letting me share you now two hours instead of just one. Thank you so very much to the family. <laughs> but um, yeah, so like it was it was a pretty big year, and I'm usually playing flag football year round, and then baseball whenever baseball season comes around. But I didn't really get to do that. I was coming off shoulder surgery, uh, tail end of 2016, 17, and so I said, you know what, as a as a physical um, and mental challenge to myself. And to support something that my best friend is really passionate about, um, I said, I'll hike it with you. Um, awesome. I will commit. And so um, we did it May 4th. It stormed on us. Um, I was soaked. Um, thankfully, I had a uh, I had a change of socks. Did it really <laughs> – it, it didn't even come <laughs> much into use because um, I got to mile 22 and it was, it was storming. And I was like, oh, let me dry my feet. Let me try and dry my shoes. I, I hopped in a van to get away from it to, to try and get out of the rain and uh, let my feet dry, put my socks back on, hit the, you know, hit, hit the trail again. And like 10 minutes later, they're just soaked again. I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was incredible, an incredible experience. Um, you know, all the cliches in the book, they are it. Uh, so uh, I, I mentioned it, I know we talked about it and I forget where I mentioned it, but during the, the hike, we, you know, the night before we tried to go to bed early, we, I think I fell asleep around 1030 and was up 230. Hmm. So about five hours of sleep the night before we hike 28.3 miles. It, uh, it was it was stupid. It just, you're so hyped. You can't go to sleep and you need to be up early. Um, we get to the trail, start about, a, start about five, five fifteen, And the first four miles are pretty much nothing but incline. And I was just like, I think I, one mile in, uh, I kind of, my foot slipped on a rock. Uh, my foot turned, uh, outward and it almost just like, I thought I'd, not necessarily tore anything, but I, I definitely felt a little burning sensation in the arch of my right foot. And I'm just right. like, this is how we're starting out. This I'm de dealing with this all day. And so we kept said going. on mile one. Yeah, yeah. It was like wow. super early in um, where that happened. And, you know, but then it got better. And I was just like, okay, maybe I didn't, you know, I, I looked out, just be careful stepping and whatnot. And uh, I kept going again, first four miles, they were absolutely terrible. And I was just like, I want to quit. I want to go home. Like, no, I'm, I'm done. I don't, if the first four miles are like this, I can only imagine what the, the other 24 are going to be like. Uh, but then got to the first aid station, uh, top, top my water off and, kind of, Hey guys, Hey, I, I made it to the first checkpoint. Let's, let's head to the next one. And during the next eight miles to the next checkpoint, I felt amazing. Hmm. Uh, I was running. I'm not a runner at all whatsoever. Uh, you know, unless it's on the baseball field, right. uh, or, or some kind of sports, but I'm, other than that, I hate running and I was great. I, I was you know, kind of sprinting through some of the sections and, um, I just super energized and I was like, Hey, actually I'm good. I'm good. We're going to finish this. And, uh, I I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Let's do this again. When's the next one. I'm committed. I'm committed. I'm in, I'm in. 
and then get to the second checkpoint and then we're on 10 you know 10 more miles uh the back i actually ended up getting wasn't paying attention and so i let it go too long but started getting blisters right out on my achilles on both uh and i'm just like oh man this is terrible this doesn't really feel good i started getting one right um in the same arch of my foot uh on my right foot and i'm just like this is awful. Somebody take me home. Like I'm, I'm done. I just, uh, you know, at this point, like my knees started bugging me, um, about seven miles in, uh, give her, yeah, about seven miles in. And then yeah, your, your fair share of obstacles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, and then I started overcompensating for my right knee and then my left knee started hurting. And, um, I guess long story short, this kind of battle went on throughout the whole day to where it's just like, no, I, like I'm done. I'm never doing this again. And then, oh, I'm definitely doing this again. Heck yeah. Like, let's do it. I am ready. Um, and it went on through the whole day. And then I get to the end. Uh, I get to the wish mile. It's the last mile. And I, I mean, uh, for, for my Dragon Ball Z fans, uh, I felt like I'd eaten a sensu beam. <laughs> and it was just like, energy through the roof um the the make a wish guys uh and and ladies uh they do a little something there that it just you know i'm like running through and i'm like choking up trying not to cry from the emotion like it's uh, just an amazing feeling uh and so i likened that journey to what we're going through now because it's the, the, you know, the ownership came back and there was the whole thing with the scout and kind of the way that he was terminated right. and, you know, the Andre Dawson and Jeff Conine and kind of how, how that happened. And everybody's like, oh, great. Here we go. No, no, right. I'm done. That was ridiculous. Um, but then they do the rebrand and uh, our colores and the, the Dimelo campaign. And it's just like, hey, well, maybe this isn't so bad after all. You know, and then they trade, you know, they, they trade Yelly and uh, they trade JT and it's, you know what, this sucks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's just the, the ebbs and flow of, that, of everything. Yeah, the absolutely. hope is that when it, you know, when you get to the wish bow, when you see the light at the end of the tunnel and you're almost there, that it, it'll all be worth it. And you know, the, the, everything will come together. The, the stuff that they're doing internationally, the stuff in the draft, the players, the development, the, the, the rebranding. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, the finishing touch will be that these guys come up and you have a super fun and exciting team in the majors that's winning. Right. And that's sustainable. And then really for a lot of fans that they keep them. Right. I mean, if we're being honest and you can't keep everybody, but once we get to that, you know, wish mile and we're towards the end and they're competing, the hope is this doesn't we don't have to go back to the bottom. Right. We can continue this with the same kind of excitement with the way that you say you sprinted the last part with that same kind of excitement instead of having to have a full reset. Um, and I, I guess that's really why I just empathized a lot with that illustration. Number one, because it's a beautiful thing that you did. Right. We're, we're not even trying to compare that one to one with the Marlins are doing. What you did was beautiful. Um, but it illustrated what a lot of fans probably feel 
which is that they feel sore from everything that's happened before. That they feel pissed off, if we're just being honest. That the trades hurt. That the trades suck. That you know, where is where is the end? I, I just want to quit. I just want to leave, and that's very easy to do. But that when you get to the front and when you get to the end, there was clearly worth it, and that the path was the right choice after all. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, um, I'm not excluded from that frustration. Right. Um, it would have been awesome to keep um, Yelich, you know, uh, similar to how. Um, you mentioned it, how the Braves kept Freddie. Right. But you know what? You can't, you can't have a guy in your clubhouse that doesn't want to be there because it brings everybody down. Um, I have a young kid on my team. He's a great kid, um, but he's 13. And our, our team ranges from 13 to 16 and 17 year olds. Um, but, you know, he's, he's sitting on the bench and everybody's up and talking and the younger guys just naturally aren't going to get as much playing time. And he's right. on the bench. He's kind of quiet. He kind of has a, has a, not a great look on his face. He arms crossed body language is not good. Um, and I talked to him and I'm like, um, Hey, you know, stick, stick it out. Remember you're young. Remember you're going to get your shot. Um, the, the, and the reason I bring that up is because uh, I, I I said, look, you got to realize that I'm not the only one that's noticing you kind of sl- slouching here, arms crossed, um, body language, you know, just kind of off-putting. Like your teammates notice that, and it brings everybody down. And so um, with with Yelly, like it would have been awesome to keep him super team-friendly contract. He he was a good player when he was in Miami. Um, now he's playing absolutely out of his mind, and great for him. Um, but do you want somebody, do you want the guy that everybody looks up to in your, on your major league team and organization to um, not want to be there? <laughs> exactly. You know, he, is he going to be willing to help the younger guys? Is he going to, um, rally the team? You know, it's, and again, it, it sucks, but I would much rather trade that guy, um, and, and try and get, uh, you know, uh, I guess capitalize on his value than have him not be happy and maybe not publicly, though he definitely publicly was not happy about everything going on. Um, but again, kind of having the locker room not be a fun place for, for guys to be in right. um, and having a, you know, a potentially a negative effect on some of the other guys coming up. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, a, a, again, that's why I like the illustration because it wasn't easy. There might have been some errors. Like you said, you overcompensated when one knee got hurt. You overcompensated on the other one. This, these are things that happen. And just the same way that we're not saying that everything is perfect with the rebuild, everything hasn't been awful with the rebuild. And the hope is that we get to that finish line. We get to that finish line where one day we are very similar to what the Braves are at your geographical location and you know then you could be i'm sure you're proud anyway when you're wearing your marlins hat around there but you could even be take more pride in what they've been doing um all right brother so we're gonna wrap up we have a lot of things that we actually you're gonna have to come back for like round three because there's a lot (laughs) of things that i want to talk about that we're not gonna be able to hit to today but go ahead and let the people know where they could find you on twitter and i don't even know do you have a picture of your of your uh sleeve anywhere or you have you kept that a little bit more private no, no, I love showing that thing. It's it's awesome. Um, so my Twitter is Jeezy in the house, and my IG is Jorge sells the Carolinas. Uh, I did some some rebranding of my own, 
for my business uh, with some of my social media. So um, it should be on there. Um, okay. They, I, we did it in different stages. I, I did um, outside, inside, back, and then front. Um, but the the pictures uh, should all be on there. If not, everybody wants to. Uh, I may throw it out on my uh, on Twitter at some point. Yeah, man. We have pictures. We have to see that again. We have to see it again. Just one last time for Twitter. It's with a J, correct? J E E Z Y in the house. Yeah, J E E Z Y in the awesome. house. Awesome. All right, my man. I appreciate you for coming out for the second time. I, I no technical difficulties this time. I appreciate it. Okay. For sure, man. It's it's been a pleasure, Danny. Thank you. All right, and that'll be all for today, George. Thank you again, not just for one, but for two hours of your time. I appreciate you coming on, man. Really, you were fantastic. And like we discussed after the interview, you will definitely be back on later on in the season so we can keep talking about that journey, about who you are, and about your Marlins fandom. To all of you, those that are listening, thank you for doing so. As always, go ahead and like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Here is to a good draft on Monday evening. Can't wait to talk to y'all next week. Go fish.